0: How's it going and welcome to episode 149 of On the Wire. A proud member of the Pitchless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at on the Wire pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin Hasting is at Hasting Kevin on the Twitter himself. We have another great preview show for you today where we're gonna jump around a little bit. We did power last week. We're going to get into some of the pitching categories, namely the ratios, ERA and whip specifically as we preview our five by five categories uh, instead of doing it the old fashioned way, if you will, by uh, position or by uh, um, by teams. Um, So hopefully that is uh, useful and we'll get right into it in a little bit. But uh, Kevin, glad to have you back back with me here. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. Hope you're doing well, Adam. Uh I was doing better actually until you let me know that on February first we're talking about pitching ratio categories and my 2024 fantasy season may be over already.
0: Oh geez. Um <laughs> yeah. Well you still got you still got some drafts you already are signed up for. Like you you can't there's no turning back there. Yeah, well maybe there is turning pitching back. Pitching ratios sure.
1: <laughs> this is such it, it really is fun. I'm not just saying that in jest. It it is a lot of fun talking about these pitching ratios, but um it can also be um infuriating at times, <laughs> for
0: sure. Well, we could have chased wins, but um, our guest we're today that didn't one. want to save that for somebody else. Uh, so I'll get right into it. We do have some help to talk about these ratios. Uh, you probably heard them on many a podcast. Uh, that is, of course, we're talking about Eric Samolsky. He, the co-host of, I guess, technically host, the way Nick puts it, of On the Corner. Uh, and, of course, you can also find him on the other Uh, FSWA finalist. Uh, the Roto World Baseball Show. Uh, very few. We're talking about this in the Discord. Very few people can say they are nominated twofold in the same category. Um, in the FSWA, and Eric and Casey Bubba. Uh, they are the two that i can find that have that honor so eric thank you so much for joining us uh you just went two hours talking to uh, talking to Nick about your top 100 you spent two hours the episode before talking about prospect pitchers so uh, that is that's kind of our wheelhouse uh, we can go an hour and a half to two hours on a regular basis so um, you're gonna fit right in how you doing man
2: I was gonna say, do we have a hard out in this one? Like maybe like 145 or or something like that. Give you a
0: break. Yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs)
2: I'm I'm good. Um thank you. I I will give the hat tip to to Bubba. Um, you know, I obviously didn't jump into on the corner until after the summer. Um and I didn't jump into the Roto World uh, baseball show until uh, about you know beginning of July. So all the you know, the the hosts that came before, I'd say that's you know, as much an, an Alex Fast nomination as as anybody else um, but you know i'm excited to be involved in both of those shows uh, and i'm excited to be here with you guys chatting about about pitching and yeah i you gave me a choice and i said there's just no way i want to i want to talk about chasing wins well so let's let's do ratios
0: yeah fair enough fair enough um yeah this uh if anybody is you know living under a rock in the fantasy baseball. Twitterverse uh the FSWA finalists for all the categories that they put out were announced a couple of days ago so make sure you go check out that feed a lot of great nominees a lot of great work that's being linked in all of that too, so make sure that if you are, you know, looking up what those nominees are, you're going to read the work, you're listening to the work, and making sure that you're giving them as much uh, of your eyeballs and earballs as you as you possibly can. Um, though the, I will say, the podcast of the year, we, Pitcher List, won that award I think two seasons ago, um, and we were nominated last year, we're nominated again this year as a finalist. But every year that category has grown. Uh, yeah. so the first year that we won, I think there were five last year. I'm, pl- I'm pretty sure there were six and now there's seven. I mean, that's, that's just a testament about how many great podcasts have not only come out, but also are sustained. Cause obviously there are some, there are some stalwarts in that category as well. Obviously it was st- sleeper in the bust and, you know, rates and barrels and, and they have some name recognition behind them. Um, but it is amazing that uh, it's just the competition gets that much harder and harder every single season, uh, and you uh, you have as much of a, a chance to at least put your name on something in that category as anybody else, Eric. So uh, yeah. you should you know, you're still part of all of that. You should hang your hat on that for sure. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I, <laughs> I went to uh, my my wife and I probably have to move soon. We I went to look at an apartment, and uh, the landlord was in there before me, and I opened the door and I heard. A very familiar sound, and I walked in. He was in the middle of an episode of Rates and Barrels, just Are you serious? listening to it on speaker. <laughs> um, and so I was like, "Hey, I, I know those guys, and I, you know, we talked about my podcasts, and uh, yeah, we're not. I'm not going to live in that apartment, but it's just nice to make that connection. You
0: know, maybe if he was listening to one of your podcasts, right? Exactly, it made
2: a difference. Yeah, come on. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Well, we got a lot of news. I mean, I think. Uh, I mean, people are whispering all the time that like oh, there's nothing's happening, nothing's happening. Uh, but quite a bit is happening. I think it's just some of the bigger names are still not signed but there's still mm-hmm. lots of stuff to talk about so let's get into it let's get into the biggest things we're recording this on Thursday evening uh, and so if you can rewind your brains by the time you're listening to this so what was happening on Thursday evening uh, probably the biggest trade of the uh, one of you know, probably the biggest trade of the offseason at least with name recognition happened between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Baltimore Orioles where the Orioles added to their rotation with one Corbin Burns Uh, They gave up DL Hall, Joey Ortiz. And what I'm reading now, a a draft pick, which Mm -hmm. never happens in baseball. It's actually not allowed. Uh, Obviously, (laughs) there are exceptions to that because they they did do it. Um, But, Eric, I'm going to let you lead us off here. Um, What is, like, general thoughts all around? Um, This just kind of happened about an hour ago. So hopefully you've had enough time to kind of let it sink in. But first and foremost, Corbin Burns, last year of his, you know, arbitration last year of his contract or rookie contract, if you want to call it that Uh, we're going to be spent in Baltimore. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: What's his impact on that rotation and what's that, what's the impact on him?
2: Yeah. I mean, this felt inevitable, right? Or something like this. I mean, everybody looked at Baltimore from the end of the season and even really at the trade deadline last year and said, you have tons of hitting prospects. You don't have enough space for all these hitting prospects. You need an ACE, go get an ace. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so this, this makes perfect sense. L- listen, it also doesn't hurt that they just changed ownership to people who want to shell out tons of money. Um, and they may be willing to shell out tons of money to keep burns there as well. So, you know, it is a rental and I'm sure Scott Boris will want burns to test the market, but that's not to say that he can't stay in Baltimore. Um, I had burns as my fourth ranked starter behind Zach Wheeler. Um, and then I'll probably bump him up to third. Um, I, it, there wasn't a lot separating Wheeler and Burns for me. I think, you know, Burns was um, really good in the second half of last year. Um, there were actually few pitchers that were better than him. Obviously, we know that he, you know, not long ago was in consideration to be the number one starting pitcher in, in fantasy. Uh, he had gets a huge park upgrade here um i think he gets a team context upgrade too because the brewers were probably um you know not really going to compete this year or at least seem to be selling off some parts and he goes to one of the best teams um in the al Mm -hmm. uh and so i I really like that for him um obviously the success came from the change in the slider and so there's no reason to think that the second half success won't carry over um so yeah i love that and i I think people, are, you know, generally think the the return is light, but I think that's a little bit disrespectful to DL Hall, who was a, uh, a well regarded prospect um, not long ago. Has battled some injuries, obviously, but you know he was a good uh, a good prospect. Joey Ortiz is the sixty third ranked prospect, and then you are getting the thirty fourth overall pick in the draft. Um, and you know, obviously, depends on how well you draft, but that could turn into another really good player, they get six years of Ortiz and DL Hall. That's a that's a long time.
0: Yeah, this is uh I agree. I think in name recognition alone, like your sticker shock was like, oh, that's it. Because you know, if you follow Alex Fast, because because you are, uh, you know, you know, he's talking about you know the Orioles should be going after Cease because Dylan Cease of the White Sox. Uh, that's just who's on the market. We, uh, there's a great video uh, that was on Twitter today about with um Alex Anthopoulos of the of the of Atlanta responding to a fan outside a radio show saying. We tried to get Cease. He was too expensive. So obviously that prompted Alex Fast to say, well, I wonder if they really were asking for uh, Jackson Holiday um, for Cease. like That was what the price would have been. This price is much different (laughs) than that. And granted, you would have gotten a little bit more control over Dylan Cease rather than the one year of Corbin Burns, but it still seems kind of right in line with like the talent that you're getting versus the 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 length that you're getting him. Um and to your point, Eric, you're I mean, Baltimore's got the flexibility in their roster to to, to do this. Like you said, they've got plenty of young headers. They don't have enough places to play them. At least that's where Joe Ortiz comes in. And I mean Dillahall, Hall, I'm not sure Baltimore knew what they were gonna be doing with right. Dill Hall anyway.
2: And I don't, and who knows what Milwaukee will do? That's, I mean, that'd be my next question. Yeah, <laughs> a rotation with DL Hall and Aaron Ashby both in it is exciting and scary, uh, and not in like a, I'm a hitter and I'm scared. Maybe I'm a hitter and I'm scared because I don't know where the ball is going to go. But it just in terms of like the the variance in those guys is wild. But they're two, you know, still relatively young lefties who have really good raw stuff. Um, DL Hall, in particular, you know, I uh, Nick and I spoke about him. On a few of the podcasts, when we talked about you know prospect pitchers or late round pitchers, because he was a guy who the Orioles said they still viewed him as a starter long term. He viewed himself as a starter, um, and he got off to a rough start last year due to a back injury. But um, actually mentioned that he thought it made him a better pitcher overall because he kind of lost velocity early in the year and had to learn how to throw his secondaries and command them and you know, throw them and sequence them better. And then he got the velocity back in the second half of the year, and he looked really good out of the bullpen. So I think that the Brewers will give him every chance to start. There's really no reason why he and Ashby can't be in the rotation because those spots are currently held down by Joe Ross and, and Colin Ray and that shouldn't hold them out yeah sure (laughs) um it it depends on how you know how they perform in the spring how far dl hall you know how how much he's actually built up um and then ortiz like listen willie adamas was in trade rumors in the offseason joy ortiz is a very good defensive shortstop he hits the ball really hard he doesn't really pull and lift the ball so he's not going to be a major home run threat but you know he hits the ball hard enough that he could hit 15 home runs in that Park and if he's going to play well above average defensive shortstop like maybe the next trade piece is Willie Adamas and the Brewers look to fill a need somewhere else
0: Yeah. I I mean, as somebody who has already drafted plenty of Jackson holiday and just drafted him about three hours ago, uh, I am I'm I'm not opposed to this uh, this trade and not that Joey Ortiz was the one holding him back, but he's still one less speed bump, Uh, you know. A defensive, like you said, a defensive shortstop who's going to play the position. Uh, Passan was very clear in his tweet that you know he's a shortstop, which obviously starts the rumor mill about or restarts the rumor mill with Willie Domus possibly on the way out in Milwaukee, as it was already being speculated that they were willing to trade anything not nailed down on a long term deal. Um, and so we'll see what happens there. Uh, all right, Kevin, we've got another slew of giant news to talk about. Um, so this is what I was going to lead off the show with um, because I think it is worth, you know, kind of lumping them all together. We talk about them in spurts every week, but we got a lot of minor league contracts uh, happening in the last week and worth just kind of listing them all off. And I want you to tell me, is there any one of these that you see being a stab at in a DC that you know they could fight their way into you know any kind of roster battle. Um, we got the Milwaukee before making this trade, they signed Christian Arroyo to a minor league deal, so another. You know, middle infielder to fight for time with Joey Ortiz and Bryce String and, and everybody else. Uh, Matt Duffy and Jared Walsh, they signed minor league deals with the Texas Rangers. Carlos Carrasco is going back to Cleveland on a minor league deal. Uh, Cole Tucker and Nick Solax, they signed minor league deals with Seattle. And then Greg Allen with the Yankees on a minor league deal of his own. Um, these are all names at one point or another. They were, you know, worth talking about some a little bit more than others. Obviously they're all on minor deals. Nobody has a guarantee contract at a major league level, but did any of them find a way to sign with a situation where they could, you know, find their way into relevancy again?
1: Probably not, (laughs) but you know, Christian Arroyo can, can always find his way to, to plate appearances with, with his defense. We've seen that in, in the past. We saw it with Boston. Um, Matt Duffy did uh, get a little bit of playing time with Kansas City last season. I don't see him getting a whole lot with Texas. Jared Walsh is very intriguing, uh, but I am afraid that, you know, 10 years from now, we're just going to still be wondering what could have been with Jared Walsh and all of the injuries. But he's he's the guy I'm most interested in keeping an eye on throughout the spring and and, and see what happens. Uh, with the, the injury, I don't expect a whole lot from Carrasco, even back in Cleveland. Of course, we'll keep an eye on him. Cole Tucker and Nick Solak in Seattle, Greg Allen in New York, probably not much, but th- these are all guys that probably at some point throughout the season we're going to talk about Adam, depending on matchups they have for that week, other things going on with the lineups. But I don't see anything here that really piques my interest at all other than as I would have if he was still in L.A., I would be keeping an eye on Jared Walsh. I'm just afraid those injuries took too big of a toll on his entire career, but he is still worth monitoring.
0: Uh, I mean, I'm happy to see Carrasco get a chance with his old team uh that seems nice i think uh, i think the one that kind of stands out the most as being more of a possibility is exactly the team we were just talking about is that's christian arroyo with milwaukee just because the opportunity there's more likely to be an opportunity there in some capacity whether it be through an injury or through another couple trades uh and that'll be somebody that milwaukee could you know maybe prop up a little bit and throw in in a trade at the deadline if he's on the major league roster. So they might have more, you know, there might be more of an assumption there that they could uh, uh, give him a little bit of extra playing time. If you know, he doesn't fall flat on his face, Eric, we uh, all right. well, Matt Duffy and Jared Walsh. They went to Texas. Walsh is the one you're interested in a little bit, Kevin, uh, but Texas is making other moves at the major league level. And that was signing David Robertson. This happened right after we recorded our last episode. So we're finally getting around to talking about this one. Uh, David Robertson signs a one-year deal uh, while Hector Neris signs a one-year deal of his own with the Chicago Cubs. So a couple of relievers who have a little bit of one more experience than the others at the back end of games, uh, but they still both have had some time in the ninth do either one of these relievers supplant the assumed closers of Jose Leclerc in Texas or Albert Alzale in Chicago?
2: I think no is the easy answer. Um, it's more complicated in Texas. Uh, I would say I, d- I don't believe Nara supplants Alzale. Um, I think that Alzale was really good um, out of the bullpen for the Cubs. Most people, when he was a starting pitching prospect, had said, hey, you really don't have a deep enough arsenal like you're you're bound to be a reliever um and he was really good as a reliever like yes he doesn't have you're not gonna see like the 30 plus percent strikeout rate um you know on a consistent basis i know he flashed it a little bit in 2022 you're not gonna see that out of him like you do from some high-end you know closers but i think that his stuff is good i think that he um has proven you know to to be adept at, you know, handling more than three outs if needed. Uh, And I don't think there's really any reason for the Cubs to remove him from that role. Uh, I I don't think he loses it. I think he's good enough. Um, LeClerc, I also don't think is immediately removed from the role. Like he, I mean, I like... Want to? I want to compare him to a cockroach, and I don't mean that disrespectfully to him, but I mean like he doesn't go away. Um, and sure, there's, sure. A, there's a reason why he doesn't go away. It's the Rangers obviously believe in him, right? They believe in what he who he is as a pitcher, what he can do. Last year, adding in that cutter um, was really a good thing for him because it um, it tunnels really well with the slider. It's got seven miles an hour difference, um, so the cutter actually became like a really nice swing and miss pitch for him. Um, The question for him has always been, "Can he throw strikes?" And so Robertson, I think, gives flexibility in case Leclerc is unable to throw strikes. The interesting thing about Robertson, um, which you know, before I started working at NBC Sports and Roto World, I was working at a local New York paper, and so I covered the Mets a lot and was in um, the locker room a lot uh, when before Robertson got traded, and he talked pretty openly about how you know the Mets basically. Said, "Hey, you know, we know that you have reverse splits through your career, and so we might be using you uh, in some in in some instances where to get like really tough lefties out." And Robertson had basically said, "I just want to win. I don't really care like how I'm used." And so I'm remembering those interviews and thinking that applies perfectly to this situation in Texas is. I don't think that he is the closer at the start. I think that they'll use him in multiple situations. And the fact that over his career, he's done very well against lefties means that he can kind of feel like the role that Chapman had in a sense, because you know, they lost, um, they lost, um, sorry, Will Smith too. So it's just Brock Burke. In the bullpen as a lefty for the Rangers, so Robertson gives them another flexibility to like attack left-handed hitters late in in games.
0: Yeah, I mean, if only the Rangers still had you know a very solid lefty in their in their arsenal, um, I don't know what they would have done with him. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to g- rewind all the way back to Alzolay, I'm always in my head. I have Sarah Sanchez talking to me about how how electric Alzale is not only as a player and out of the bullpen, but the fact that the Cubs made an entrance video and he has entrance music already produced as a closer, not every closer on every team has that. Like, I think people take that for granted with obviously with Mariano Rivera and then, you know, Tony Trump in the, in the trumpets in, in New York for Diaz. Um, not every closer has that kind of, Uh, following within their team. And the fact Mm. that he had such a short period of time and in the second half of the season in that role, and he already has that um, you know, that tells me that that job is pretty much his (laughs) and that's just science. Um, And I also also think about how Robertson just kind of fell apart when he went to Miami at the end of last year. And he got taken out of that role pretty quickly. They traded for him to be the closer and that failed completely and utterly um, and just makes me think that I, I love the fact that you referenced those, you know, the, his interviews while he was with the Mets and saying, Hey, I don't need to be the closer. I just want to win. And I want to, you know, use me however you feel is going to be the best way. And yeah, so the, that doesn't, yeah, definitely doesn't uh, show me that, you know, they signed him to be the closer. They just signed him to be useful.
2: Yeah, I think I remember him being pretty vocal about uh not loving the situation in in Miami, you know, like uprooting his family in the middle of the year, like this is, you know, a 38 39 year old who um, you know, has kind of established playing, you know, in a in a particular market in particular and and so I think the idea that he's signing this one year deal with Texas is like he wants to be there and I got the sense that a lot of the performance on the field against with Miami was that maybe he wasn't he didn't fully love that sure. setup. Um, I can't imagine probably,
0: many players love being uprooted in the middle of the season. Yeah, exactly. Especially when mean, you've been in a place for as long as he had. Yeah, right.
2: And when you have kids and fa- yeah. you know family and all that, we sometimes forget about that, and we're like, "Oh, he fell apart." It's like, "Oh, I wonder why he fell apart." Yeah. And nothing could have led to that.
0: Yeah. There's only one thing on your mind, and there's nothing else happening outside right. of that stadium. Yeah, sure. Um. All right, well, let's see, Kevin. We'll move into the outfield here where Jock Peterson finds a new home in Arizona, joining their outfield, possibly part-time. Maybe he's DH. We'll see what kind of role he kind of carves out there. What do you expect out of Peterson um, in the desert?
1: I'm expecting a strong side of a platoon as the DH in the heart of the lineup. I like it. Uh He pretty much... Uh, taking over for Tommy Pham, going to take that that spot. Uh, the the outfield is full. You know they got Lords Guriel Jr., Corbin Carroll. They they their their outfield is set. They have Alec Thomas going to be in center as well. But I think the way this roster sits right now in Arizona, Jack Peterson, strong side platoon, pretty strictly. We we know his history. Uh, as amazing as he can be. Uh, versus righties, he he has uh, not performed well versus lefties, and and there were teams that 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 tried right. The Cubs tried to give him a lot of extra plate appearances. He wasn't absolutely horrible. He's just never going to be uh, the the guy against left-handed pitching. So yeah, I like this move. Good landing spot. Good. Uh, I think it fits a need for Arizona. They did need somebody to replace uh tommy fam in the lineup and yeah this looks great as far as i'm concerned
0: yeah i mean that's exactly what he does right he's just he is tommy fam you know his replacement in arizona um yeah they were definitely Funny
1: is it how funny though is it that he's basically replacing tommy fam after their history
0: oh geez (laughs) that's more than appropriate yes um let's see how many uh fantasy football leagues there are in uh, in Arizona <laughs> um, and see how that works out. But um, yeah, I mean, we talked about Jock Peterson probably all the way back in our first season. Just you're right. He definitely has some very strong splits. He, he has had seasons where he's done you more harm playing more often than good. And so being on the strong side of platoon yet, you see, you hear that, you see that and your instinct is like, oh, well, he's going to lose playing time. He's not going to get as much playing time. He's not going to give me bats, but you know what? He's still probably going to put up the same, same numbers and your ratios are going to thank you later um, in, in that situation when he's, you know, just facing off against the, the side that he you know, does better at. So m- maybe you'll be happy if you're in a weekly league and you put him in your lineup and he sits two or three games. It, it's rare that that you can say that about most of your uh, players in your lineup but if you're going to actually hurt my my team by being in the lineup I'd rather take the zero on that day for sure <laughs> um all right eric uh we got a couple we got a, this one this note I had to make I had to change it a couple times because uh, we actually got an update here. Trey Cabbage he was DFA'd earlier in the week by the Angels. So my question was going to be like, hey, where does he go? Can he can he find right. a place where he can you know take advantage and show off what he did in 2023 between AAA and, and major leagues in Anaheim? Um, why did the Angels cut him? Yada yada yada. And then lo and behold, he got traded like two or three days later while he was still you know being designated. Uh, and he, he's going to end up in Houston. Um, where the uh, the Houston Astros traded traded him for Carlos Espinosa, uh, right-handed pitcher. There, I, I'm not less worried about Espinosa, but I am curious to know: did he find the right place to actually be to find a chance to replicate what he did at Triple A and the major leagues, mostly at Triple A? Granted, 26 year old season, uh, still put up a lot of power. Uh, hit the ball all over the place um, and made a name for himself. We were talking about him for Fab FabBibs when he got called up. Just based on the name alone, uh, yeah. how do you how do you pass that up? But can he do that in Houston?
2: Yeah, I, I wrote about Cabbage a lot last year because I was doing like a minor league leaderboard article, and obviously he was just all over it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I took to Twitter when uh, as, you know as we do, we just take to Twitter and <laughs> write write our share our thoughts. Uh, but you know, I. I was surprised that the Angels let him go because it's a team that wasn't really contending, and so even though there are flaws in Trey Cabbage's game, it's like he just went 30-30 in the minors and hit 306, and you're not competing. Why wouldn't you let him get a chance for it bats And the answer to that is coming up later and who they'd rather give it bats to. Um, so, yes, this is a good landing spot for him in the sense that this is an organization that I think will get the most out of his set of skills because it's a well-run organization that will be able to kind of optimize what he does. Well, uh, he is not a 30, 30, 300 hitter at the major league level. I think most people probably knew that. Um, but was anybody who's going to strike out over 30% of the time in AAA. And then if you include his stints at AA, I mean, he's a 35, 36% strikeout rate hitter. Um, Those are that's an issue. He was much better coming over to the Angels starting in 2022. He had been a a Minnesota Twins prospect before that. Um, So the Angels found something that got another level out of him and that can't be ignored. He does have a good power speed foundation. So there's a chance that even if he's a 230 hitter at the major league level. That he's able to give you decent fantasy production from a power and speed standpoint. I think the the most likely path for him is it's like him versus John Singleton as the left handed bench bat um, for opening day. Right, John Singleton is a a tremendous story. Everybody was pulling for him last year. He's going to be 33 this year, and he hit 165 in his 105 plate appearances with the Astros last year Um, so sorry that was across his two teams that he played in in uh, Major League Baseball last year so if Cabbage shows up and looks good I think that's a position where the Astros could say okay you're our you're a backup first baseman you're a a backup outfielder you're a left-hand bench bat and then is there a path to more playing time I think potentially like in the outfield I mean Chaz McCormick can play a good enough center field That if Jake Myers isn't looking great and Trey Cabbage is, you know, you could see Cabbage mix in in the outfield and they shift McCormick to center. I I just think that realistically, Cabbage's ceiling is probably, you know, a bench bat who gets mixed in because he's a lefty two, three starts a week max. Um, But I think it's a good gamble for the Astros.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and he's in this position where he's an injury away from a little bit more playing time, if not regular playing time, at least a little bit more.
2: And, you know, it's not like the Astros have a big left-handed slugger who frequently gets injured or anything.
0: Never happens. Never happens. Yeah, we won't. Yeah, we won't go down that road. Um, let's close this out a little bit because, as you alluded to, the Angels did fill the gap. As soon as they DFA'd Trey Cabbage, they signed Aaron Hicks uh, to kind of fill that roster spot, I guess. Um Aaron Hicks in Anaheim Anaheim's only paying the minimum here because he's still on the hook for what the Yankees were paying him. Um, can Hicks, I mean, talk about somebody who obviously can't stay healthy. Uh, can he do anything in Anaheim or is this just like Hicks, Aaron Hicks being Aaron
2: Hicks? It's just Aaron Hicks being Aaron Hicks to me. I mean, I, you know, like his stats were much, much better in Baltimore, um, over the final 65 games. But like when you look at everything under the hood, it was basically the exact same Mm -hmm. in terms of pull rates, strikeout rates, walk rates, barrel rates, all that stuff was like basically exactly the same as earlier on in the year. Um, and yeah, the, the Angels, they're not going to compete, but they want to try to block either Mickey Moniak or Joe Adele from getting Obviously. regular bats by bringing in Aaron Hicks. Like, I, okay, whatever. Whatever yep. you want to do.
0: But they won't sell the team. Um. Yeah. All right. No. All right. We got a couple more news items to get to. I'm a little late to the buzzer on this one, uh, but we got do have to take a quick break. All right, Kevin. I can't literally this whole offseason. I can't do an outline without mentioning a move that your Kansas city Royals did. It's just, it's not possible. They, they have to be one of the most active teams on the market this off season. Uh, This not always the flashiest move, but there's still a move worth talking about. Adam Frazier joins your Royals. Uh, I mean, tell me your thought overall thoughts on this in general and you know, how does who whose playing time is he taking and who, wh- what is he doing in Kansas city?
1: Well, right now, this is for depth. Uh, They had been talking about signing a left-handed utility infielder and left-handed hitting utility infielder. They have that in in Adam Frazier. I just don't think they're going to need him for long. I really don't. Uh, Garrett Hampson is going to be their right-handed utility infielder uh, and probably – play against some lefties once in a while as well and I'm still really big on Nick Lofton uh, who who will start the season at AAA uh, presumably but I think could be up early and, and get a lot of playing time on the infield for the Kansas City Royals. Adam Frazier had a great 2024. I don't know if people realize how nice of a 2024 Adam Frazier had in his because it was a Utility player, right, in in Baltimore. But uh, the most RBI of his career in 455 plate appearances. And uh, he's had over 600 plate appearances three times in his career. Uh, 13 home runs, career high by uh, a pretty comfortable margin, especially when factoring the plate appearances. So, you know, with those nice low strikeout rates, uh, decent walk rates, and the defense he provides – it's possible he works his way into something here. Uh, he's, he's definitely on my radar in draft and drafting holds, whether it's Kansas City or somewhere else. If this doesn't work out, he, he will end up getting playing time somewhere for somebody, at least part time as a utility guy, roughly 400 plate appearances. We'll see that somewhere. Uh, so uh, after the season he had last year, continuing uh, to walk it at over seven percent, keeping the strikeouts uh, down in the in the mid teens, uh, he he's going to provide some value for a draft and whole team, um, our 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 fifty round fifteen team leagues. But I don't see anything full time, especially in Kansas City. If if things go really really bad in Kansas City. Uh, then it, it, it's still not going to be him. It would be Garrett Hampson taking over for Michael Massey or Garrett Hampson going to third base, and we need Nick Lofton coming up. I think this is a big-time depth move, uh, and he'll be useful. He'll be a great, I think, real baseball player for Kansas City if, if things are going well for them in 2024. Uh, but uh, I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of fantasy value other than in uh, – late rounds of a draft and hold because he will get some plate appearances mm-hmm. throughout the year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we, we feel like you we were saying the same thing about Frazier last year in Baltimore is like, he's not long for this roster he spent the whole, you know, he ended up being on the roster for the whole Frazier. season. Think, yeah. move. Um, and I, I venture to guess that we were saying the same things when, you know, in his, uh, well, he did end up being traded in 2021, uh, but in Seattle as well, he spent the whole season there as well. It just seemed like these one-year deals. He was just destined to be, you know, fodder at the trade deadline. It just hasn't happened. So I wonder if you know he goes down the same path. He he ends up staying he, being more useful to Kansas City down the stretch than he would get on a on a on a on the trade market as well so
1: if that's the thing if that's the case things are going well for kansas city i believe exactly because otherwise <laughs> we'll see some more younger players getting getting a chance in that spot so that's the hope
0: there you go um all right eric uh last uh pitch no not the last pitcher move we're going to talk about but uh one of the last ones alex wood he goes across the bay signing with Oakland. Maybe they're Vegas. Maybe they're in Reno, Salt Lake City. I'm not quite sure. I don't think anybody. They're not sure yet either. Uh, but either way, they're going to be playing for. He's going to be pitching for the Athletics wherever they end up playing. Um, I mean, I assume he's you know in the starting rotation for <laughs> Athletics. I'm pretty sure you'd be in the starting rotation for the Athletics if they signed you. Uh, but what? Uh, is there, and we're not talking about chasing wins. You didn't want to talk right. about chasing wins, so I want to make sure I gave you the Athletics pitcher. I appreciate. That. Uh, overall thoughts on Alex Wooden for the Ace.
2: Yeah, in in deeper formats, I could see it. Um, I mean, I think well, he's maybe the second best pitcher in the rotation, depending on your <laughs> thoughts on Paul Blackburn. Um, and and look, like we've seen, we've seen him be pretty good. Um, in particular, like uh, after he went to the Giants and they made some changes um, to the pitch mix. Um I didn't love you know he was he was good in 2021 the underlying metrics suggested he should have been much better in 2022 um you know sierra XFIP, all that kind of stuff were well below his ERA I didn't love what I saw from him last year but you know he was in and out of the rotation he was a, a reliever he was a whatever um I I don't think you're going to see the innings limits on him that you saw with the Giants uh, what are the you know who are the Athletics saving him for um, so I think that, you know, you're going to get some rough starts and I think you're going to get some starts where you get, you know, five, six innings of two runs and, you know, maybe four or five strikeouts. Um, and so I think like he, he's still in a really good home park. So I think he becomes a deep league streamer where, you know, you could pitch him in favorable parks against lineups that are not particularly daunting um, and not really chase wins as much as, you know, just chasing kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, ratios to a certain extent, which we'll talk later, is, is a tough thing to stream for. Um, but I'm I'm watching, in, I'm intrigued because I want to see if he's capable of going deeper into games than the Giants let him or if that was basically all he had. Because if he starts going six innings more consistently, it's a little more interesting for deeper formats than if he's still just a five inning guy.
0: Yeah, i mean i feel like everybody's talked about how the giants utilized their pitchers last year, especially, you know, specifically Wood and Manaya always comes up in conversation as far as well, once they find a new home, they got a they get a new contract, how's their new team are they going to be utilizing them in, in in the same way? And now they're in both in new environments, so it'll be interesting to see. Not only how they get used, but also if the Giants continue kind of doing what they do uh, with uh, with those types of pitchers or they're not super confident in, you know, how long they can go into games or how long they can hold up throughout the course of the season um, and their roles. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's not really a reason to hold him back. If I'm not mistaken, this was a one year deal as well. So if nothing else, this is an Alex Wood prove a deal um so hopefully he can actually you know he, he went to a team where they were like yeah fine we'll let you pitch right <laughs> if you break down you break down what to do exactly. um we'll see uh kevin we've gotten a couple of uh well we had the one Jackson Churio, um mega deal you know pre uh debut deal now we get a new one with detroit with colt keith signing an extension with the tigers he is now assumed to be the starting second baseman on opening day according to friend of the site jeff passan i love that i can say that after his interview (laughs) at PitchCon, uh he he comes into the season with you know third base eligibility he's third baseman by trade um but uh passan at least thinks he's gonna you know move over to second base uh somewhat permanently so he should gain that dual eligibility you know in nfbc leagues with the corner and middle infielder spots that plays a big role um he should get that in short order Uh, how far does this news move him up your board especially in a nfbc style roster well again where you've got the extra corner you've got the extra middle infielder and in a short bench so you know at least keith is probably at least going to be on the opening day roster in some capacity
1: yeah, i i I agree with the uh, the speculation of most. I think that he's probably going to get in there every day, nearly every day, at, at second base for Detroit. He's he's a prospect I have been excited about um, over over the past couple of years. Uh, I'm anxious to see him. Uh, I like what I see. I think the the strikeout rates, walk rates, all all great and here's the problem detroit we've seen this with a lot of players right just that that ballpark it is not conducive to power and colt keith does not have much speed so the power is what we're looking for 27 home runs 88 runs scored over 100 rbi across double a AA and triple a last season in less than 600 plate appearances only three stolen bases Only four stolen bases in 2022. He's never had over four stolen bases in a professional season. We're not going to see him run. So we need to see the power, and this ballpark is just not conducive to that. That, going back the other way again, may help us out. That's going to keep the price suppressed, I presume. I think this is a guy that's going to be available on some waiver wires, even drafts that have not taken place yet. Uh, Yes, he he has begun to be drafted earlier in in some leagues, but it's still going, you know, well after pick three hundred. He has been taken inside the top three hundred, presumably since the the signing took place uh, it's hard to tell because we don't know when the draft started we only know it's only listed after the draft ends uh, but but he has moved up being drafted outside the, the top 300 and, and going right around there and a little inside it over the last handful of drafts so he, he's still going to be available now he's only been drafted in half of the online championships that have been drafted so far I I, I think I don't think his price is going to skyrocket as much as as a typical top prospect who signs a, a contract locking him up and, and means we presume to, to see him with in, in the lineup on opening day. I, I don't know that he's going to move up as far as other players that may do the same thing with the team context, with the ballpark. And I think that gives us an opportunity here. It's keeping his costs a little lower than with other players like this. Uh, Just unfortunately, we're not going to be able to count on those home runs due to the ballpark. Due to he's still only 20 years old. We can't forget that either. Uh, But uh, overall, I really like Colt Keith. Uh, I think it appears and, and and I believe this will play out. I, I think expectations will be tempered, as I said, than with many other prospects. So that's going to help. Uh, but uh, he could still be a valuable player in deeper leagues. Yeah, of course, you know, everybody's
0: going to going to think about, you know, how Spencer Torkelson came up and, you know, kind of puttered along for his first season in Detroit for the exact same, all the reasons that you mentioned. Um Colt Keith is definitely somebody that I've been super interested in, in like my dynasty league. I don't, I did not have an opportunity to draft him in our like minor league system. So uh, I jumped at the chance in our current listener league. I think it it was in the 20th round. Of course, this is one of our 12 teamers. So this was a little earlier than you're seeing in ADP. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to kind of jump him up. It's that dual eligibility and the fact that he's going to play every day. Um, he's going to get the opportunity to, if nothing else, volume his way into the situation. The Tigers hopefully will give him as much support and as much runway as possible. And even that late, even at like two thirty, two forty overall in a twelve teamer, this that's a that's a situation where you're yeah maybe he gets slotted into your starting lineup at that point at the very end but he's as much of a bench player draft pick at that point in a 12-teamer than as anything else so um of course you know in the shallower leagues you can take more risk you can take more uh you know shots in the dark um on those situations especially in a fab situation rather than in a you know draft champion or draft and hold um as well so it's going to you know, matter where you take them based on the format and how you've built your roster and how comfortable you feel about that.
1: Yeah, really quick clarification uh, for you there, Adam. Uh, you mentioned dual eligibility. If people are looking at that and questioning it, he's going to be eligible at third base right away, mm-hmm. as that's the position he played most at in the minors. And we're all expecting him to gain second base eligibility. As soon as he plays enough games, as soon as the Tigers yeah, yeah. even play enough games for him to do so. So yeah, yeah. That, that's where that's coming from. If people are wondering.
0: Yeah, uh, probably not until the second week, of, you know, second full week of the season. If he's plays every day at second base uh, to get those 10 games under his belt. Um, all right, let's uh, move out of Detroit. Eric will go uh, over the border to Toronto. They add Justin Turner to their lineup on a one year deal uh, for the Blue Jays. Where does Turner play for the Blue Jays, and you know what what kind of impact is his presence going to have on their current lineup?
2: Yeah, I think obviously uh, to me he slots in as the starting DH. Um, I think his ability to play third and first, um, and also looked pretty good at second um, for the Red Sox at times last year. I think he can be a backup infielder for them if they need to give Davis Schneider or Kevin Biggio or Vlad a day off or, you know, let Turner play first one game, let Vlad DH just, you know, to rest the legs or or whatever. Um, But I think he's their primary DH. I think he slots in the middle of the lineup. I think that he remains probably like a 20 homer bat. Um, I, you know, I think there might be some potential. Uh, growth potential home run growth because as you, as you know with Fenway Park sometimes Fenway turns um, home runs into you know line drives off the wall depending on how mm-hmm. hard a ball is hit um, but you know I did a, a pulled fly ball article um, that's coming out soon for the Roto World uh, draft guide and saw that um, Turner hit over 700 on his pulled fly balls um, obviously the vast majority of his home runs were pulled fly balls and um, so, I think the batting average might suffer a little bit because obviously, pulled fly balls are going um, to be easier to land for hits in Fenway, given how short the wall is, um, versus uh, Toronto. Toronto obviously changed the dimensions of their park, uh, which makes it slightly less hitter friendly. But listen, I mean, you know, Turner has been like a 270, 20 homer, 25 homer bat over the last, you know, three years. Um, and he is a professional hitter. He will, you know, he has, he has started to pull a lot more when he got to Fenway. So I think to me that shows he's a hitter who will adapt to his environment. Um, I don't think he has major thump anymore. So, you know, I think you're, you're going to get something around 270, 20, and that's great because Baltimore, I mean, Baltimore, Toronto needed another bat. Um, I'm still, I still don't think this lineup is as great as everybody thinks it is. Um, and so I think that this, this helps, I don't think that it makes them contend with, you know, some of the other teams in the, in the AL East. I think this biggest knock here is on Danny Jansen because now Danny Jansen's, Best path to playing time is splitting at bats with Alejandro Kirk behind the plate, which also dings Alejandro Kirk a little bit because we know that Danny Jansen can get hot with the bat, and if he does, then maybe Kirk isn't catching as much during those times. Um, and it, it will depend, obviously, on what the Blue Jays do at third base. Um, you know, do they trust Turner and his foot? Um, which you know he ended the year last year playing through a serious foot injury. Toronto is a turf field. Um, so that's tough for, for that kind of foot injury. Do they trust a 39-year-old Justin Turner to be an everyday third baseman? Um, if they do, then okay, maybe Danny Jansen gets more DH at bats. Um, but I, I don't necessarily believe that's the case. Uh, so I think it's a knock to the catchers, um, a slight uptick uh, in run production maybe for some of the guys hitting at the top of the lineup. And I don't think that Turner is really impacted much um from you know i don't think i don't think he gets a major boost from last year but he was a good hitter last year and i think he remains a good corner infield um target who will have in most leagues i think should probably have first base and maybe even second base eligibility i don't know if in nfbc formats he played enough games at second um but in other formats i believe he did I'm going to talk as I scroll down on fan graphs to see that, yeah, he had 10 starts at second base. So I believe like ESPN, Yahoo, those formats, he'll have um, second base eligibility, but not in NFBC formats.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. Yahoo being the one that everybody will point to. You only need five starts uh, in right. 10 appearances uh, at a position. So yeah, he'll, he'll get that. And then anything else he looks the wrong way at um, Turner, in nfbc going into the year just has the single eligibility at first base at first. um I, I i see a path where he gains third base eligibility though with toronto for all the reasons you said um he goes they're not they're obviously not bringing back matt chapman uh Kevin biggio right now is kind of slotted in as the as the third baseman so just it might take a while but i think that he kind of does enough to get into that position um like you said, though, second base is not off the table either. We talked about David Schneider last week, Kevin, but, uh, he's not, you know, exactly the pinnacle of a non-platoon player, uh, with what he did last year as well. So, um, they've got a couple, and I mentioned this is every other episode, of course, they've got a couple of minor league infielders, uh, they're kind of knocking on the door with, uh, barter and, um, or Elvis Martinez, uh, that can kind of fill in those gaps as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, right now in NFBC, that single eligibility first base is as deep as everybody's talking about. It is uh, he's still not he shouldn't be off the radar because of Mm -hmm. what he's been able to do in Boston Um, and Toronto's, you know, maybe the wall changes a little bit, but still plays up um, in general um, um, for hitters. So we'll see kind of if he can take advantage of that Um, or if he gets, you know, he's just got used to that wall because that wall can really mess with. But hitters infielders yeah. uh you get too used to it and you go somewhere else you're uh you know you got to make some adjustments um all right let's go another trade that happened um a couple days ago kevin we got seattle acquiring jorge polanco from the minnesota twins they send off recently acquired Anthony DiStefani. Uh, along with Justin Topa and a couple other prospects. Uh, Seattle also brings on Samad Taylor from your Kansas City Royals for money in a bag of balls, apparently. Uh, Samad Taylor, Jorge Polanco, Cole Tucker, we talked about earlier, Nick Solak on minor league deals, and then Dylan Moore. They're all kind of competing for second base time in Seattle now. I mean, or is, Pol- or is this just Polanco's job and you're not worried about anybody else?
1: Not worried about it. I think. For the most part, this is Polanco's job. Uh, even even better yet, uh, according to roster resource, and I, I I don't see a lot to to argue with here that they have him hitting third in this lineup. So all of a sudden we have we have a guy being drafted uh, near pick three hundred in, in drafts that have taken place so far this off season. Hitting third behind J.P. Crawford and Julio Rodriguez, in front of Mitch Garver and Kyle Raleigh, a couple of guys with power there, and, and, and going this late in drafts, and we, we've talked all offseason about. I really buy into to Knicks. You have to have a plan for second base when you go into a draft, and I'm not so sure one of those very viable plans can be. Oh, I'd, I'll get I'll get Jorge Polanco in the 20th round. i'd be more than happy with that here all of the projection systems more and more of them out by the day now including a new version of plv uh projections we have all kinds of projections to be looking at now they they all have polanco for over 20 home runs approaching double digit stolen bases uh decent batting average and and like Yeah, where he's going, he's going to creep up a little bit. He signed, but he already had began to creep up. Uh, He already had uh, crept up little by little as we're getting later in the offseason, knowing that he would sign somewhere. So I don't see a big jump here. And uh, I, I, I like this landing spot a lot for Polanco
0: yeah I, yeah I, I like the fact that you know approaching that double digit stolen base mark that you mentioned with him i wonder if batting third in that lineup with raleigh and, and garver behind him maybe holds him back a little bit in that's in, in those scenarios knowing that these guys bats are right behind them they can just knock them along without taking the risk uh but at the same time, Seattle has not been shy on the base pass in general over the last couple of years, last year included. Uh, so they, they could balance those two factors could just end up balancing each other out as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, if he's playing every day as second base in the heart of the lineup, uh, regardless of team context, of course, everybody thinks about Seattle being more of a pitcher's park than a hitter's park. you know, going from Minnesota to Seattle. That's going to play a role. Um, but Polanco doesn't isn't necessarily like you don't. You know, yeah, it's nice to see him get 20 bombs, but you're not thinking of Polanco as a power hitter whose power is going to be sapped based on the park that he's playing in per se. Um, maybe he you know cuts down from 20 to 18. Um, and I'm, this is back of the mapkin math. This isn't based on any actual science here, uh, but at the same time, um, that's that's the least of my worries, especially if he's getting an upgrade in um, the lineup spot as well. He also needs to play every day. I mean, he needs to play all season for that matter um, and not let any kind of injuries kind of get in the way as well. All right, last thing we're going to hit on here Eric, before we get to the actual main topic here. Uh, isn't a signing. It's not a trade. It's just one of those things you start seeing in, you know, once February hits or right before February hits before pitchers and catchers report, um, uh, we start getting more and more news about players having mystery surgeries or injuries that they've been dealing with that nobody knew about because nobody's knocking on their door interviewing guys in the offseason. But Corey Seager was reportedly had surgery to repair a sports hernia, um, in the quote and i don't have i don't have the i don't have the tweet in front of me but of course it said could be ready for opening day that's the key word here not should but could uh maybe he needs a little maybe even if he's ready for opening day maybe he needs a little bit of ramp time maybe you know extended spring training to get ready for the spring i'm not i'm speculating here obviously uh, but what's your what's your over thoughts on seeger and this kind of news what does it do for his draft capital. If you were to, you know, be in that situation where you could draft him now, are you not worried about it, or are you taking this into consideration?
2: Yeah, I, I think you know, I tweeted about this the other day because some people were like, Corey Seager off my board, and it's like, well, why, why would he be off your board? I no, he isn't. In, you know, he's had back injuries in the past. He's had injuries. Um, I, I will certainly move him down because I don't think he's ready for opening day. Um, the tweet. Or the Yeah, the tweet for the Royals or the, you know, the Royals report was that they're hopeful he'll be ready for opening day. Um, but he had surgery um, on the 30th. The things that I was reading both on Twitter and in just Google searching for like medical, actual medical doctors, <laughs> was that a sports hernia surgery typically takes six to 12 weeks to recover from. The season is eight weeks away. So... Yes, hopeful that he'll be ready because 8 weeks does fall within that 6 to 12 week time frame. But why are you taking arguably your best player and forcing him to come back on the earlier side of right. a recovery from something like a sports hernia where think of the torque that you, when you're swinging a bat, right? Like that is all hips. You don't want any any um potential for re-injury or any kind of like um you need to make sure that you're fully healed from that and again because of the nature of where the sports hernia surgery is it's not like you know he um got a, his surgery on his on his foot and then he could just sit in a chair and still get some dry swings <laughs> in with his hands like he's not really going to be swinging for a while so he's going to need to build up um And so we've seen Ezekiel Duran fill in for you know for players around the infield multiple times before. I think the Rangers are probably comfortable with him doing that for a while. So if Seager misses the first two weeks to a month of the season, um, it wouldn't surprise me. Remember, this is a team that signed Tyler Malley in the offseason who's not going to be ready for the summer anyway. They have Scherzer, DeGrom, all basically coming back at some point over the summer, possibly, right, all within air quotes. So, like, I don't think the Rangers feel any sort of pressure that they, like, have to have the best month of April of any team in, in baseball. So I would move him down. Um, I'm still happy to, to take him. Um, because I think I I think there's a enough depth at shortstop where I can cover the position for let's call it a month, um, and then I I don't see any reason why I wouldn't get typical Corey Seeger back, especially because he never gave you speed. So as long as he's recovered enough that the torque in the hips will still allow him to kind of like open up through the ball and and hit for the same amount of power, then knock a month off his plate appearance projections, which probably factored in an injury anyway, um, and then go from there.
0: I just love the fact that baseball players can get sports hernias instead of just hernias, and they get a specific title. Um, I've only had two surgeries in my life. One of them was to get my wisdom teeth out, and technically that is surgery, so I'm going to count it. And the other one was a surgery for to repair a hernia um, I cannot claim that that was a sports hernia and I am upset about that now um that would that would be a lot cooler of a story uh so I w- wish him Corey seeger that is the a, a fast recovery um and yeah I agree that like, this is not something that any team never mind the defending champions are going to be pushing back uh pushing him you know further along any faster than he needs to be kevin you and i talk about you know some teams take care of their injuries in their rehab assignments better than others i'm hoping that the rangers kind of fit into that better category for the sake of you know Corey Seeger and all these guys that eric you just mentioned that are be coming back throughout the course of the season for the rangers all right finally we have wrapped up all we need to talk about with news, I'm, I'm looking at The Wire here, and I'm not seeing anything new come through, so it is safe to move on. But we do have to take another quick break. All right, we are back. We are still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hasting. and we are lucky enough to be joined by Eric Simulski, uh, co-host of On The Corner and the Ro- uh, Roto-World Baseball Show, both nominated for F- FSWA. Uh, awards, Eric. Take this time, though, to in the middle of the show, not the beginning, not the end, at the middle of the show, to kind of re- let everybody else know what else you're doing. You kind of mentioned, you know, obviously you're working on articles for uh you're at the ro- the Roto World um draft guide. What else? What? Where else can they find your work? What else can, mm-hmm. are you working on?
2: Yeah, so so thanks. Uh, I will tweet out basically everything. So that's again at Samsky NYC. So that's the best place to find any of the work that I do. Um, The Roto World online draft guide is dropping next week. Um, So um, that's definitely something to check out. Uh, You know, projections, articles, uh, player profiles, all that kind of stuff. Um, The two big things I would just say that I'm working, spending a lot of time on. um, We have I have a I'm doing a short youtube I guess it's a series they're like five to seven minute episodes uh that i call pick three adp and i go round by round um through current fantasy baseball drafts and i give three players i like at um their 80 or in that round um i give a stud option the guy i think is like the best bet in that round i give a sleeper somebody who's kind of overlooked in that round and then just like a solid pick and then i give one fade uh so a player i'm fading um at cost in each round Um, And then I will uh, also chop those up and I put those on my Instagram, uh, which is samolsky underscore sports. If you are on Instagram and want to just watch sports videos Um, and then a bunch of articles coming out on, on Roto world. But the big one is uh, the top 100 starting pitchers, which I said would come out this Wednesday. And then I'm sure Nick, uh, is laughing along with me that now that's going to come out next week because it just takes a while um, to really get the blurbs going. And now I have to make changes because of Burns and D.L. Hall and all this kind of stuff. So uh, that's next week, um, and that will be coming out. And uh, I've got a bunch of other stuff. So, yeah, just just check Twitter, um, and I'm posting as much as humanly possible.
0: Yeah, and you get a preview of that top 100, obviously, by listening to recent on the corner yeah, which, and it's that's already, nice. it's already and then that's the that's the beauty of doing it <laughs> yeah, on yeah. on air if you will and you get the you get the criticism and the critiques from mm-hmm. you know your cohort and then you can you know you could take that to heart or not and, and make adjustments before you actually put it in writing yes uh, so that's good all right well part of those rankings are revolving around ratios as we typically have to do, worry about throughout the course of the season and during draft season we're talking about era and whip in this in this situation are standard categories in a five by five roto or head-to-head categories leagues for that matter um and so uh Kevin I'm gonna go back over to you though first and foremost um how in like vi- very high level here like how much are you actually focusing on these categories when you're looking at a pitcher uh when you're when you're Regardless of what your strategy is to drafting pitchers, whether you're going you know pocket aces or you're waiting five rounds or whatever, in my case may be, um, like is are the ratios more important than the volume categories or vice versa?
1: I don't even know if I know how I would answer which is more important. Um, They're they're obviously both really important for me personally. Ratios may be more important during a draft than they are for others because i will stream i will stream two start pitchers all season long uh and uh, i and i think that's the way to go but in order for that to work i i need a better base so i need to pay more attention to my ratios mm-hmm. during the draft um if, if, if you're somebody that's uh mm-hmm. adverse to to streaming throughout the year, maybe you don't have to pay quite as close of attention during the draft because overall they should be a little better to begin with. Uh, But for me, I I need to kind of protect them a little bit because I will stream throughout the year.
0: Eric, as we're, as we're, you know, as you're considering these picks throughout the course of your draft, um, we, we talked about this last year. I'm going to talk about it again here. Volume plays a big role in your ratios. I mean, we talk about on the hitter side with batting average, like obviously the more played up, more at bat you get, the bigger of a dent your average is going to have um, on on your overall line. Same can be said about ERA and whip, like the more innings you pitch, the bigger of a bump that that makes. Um Is there something to be said about bumping up volume or bumping down volume based on what you're projecting a pitcher to put up in those ratios?
2: I would say it's very rare that I would bump down volume. I understand what you're saying that like a a pitcher who throws 170 innings and gets you a bad whip is going to throw you 170 innings of a bad whip, um, which is, you know, that's worse though. I would just say that like, I'm, I'm probably shying away from drafting people with like objectively bad ratios anyway. So the volume, you know, unless I'm in like some sort of draft and hold 50 round format, um, the volume for me is only a positive. However, as Nick and I have mentioned a few times, um, on the podcast, I think that volume sometimes gets overrated in the sense that we look at volume as this secure thing. Oh, he is a, he throws, a, he goes deeper in games. He He's 180 in workhorse, et cetera. And Nick had that tweet like way back in October, about 15 of the top 31 pitchers being drafted who didn't even make 20 starts mm-hmm. last year. Um, I believe that was the criteria that he listed But was basically just like almost 50% of the top 30 starters basically didn't meet value because they got hurt Um, and we are looking at a starting pitcher landscape right now that doesn't have a lot of the names we're used to seeing at the top and so there are a lot of question marks beginning as early as like starting pitcher five for some people Um, and so I think there's a tendency to say oh I'll just bump up the guy that's throwing more innings because he's safer but like you know Nick and I spoke about like Logan Webb is a great example, right? Logan Webb threw over 200 innings last year. So it doesn't really matter if he is not a great, like K per nine guy, because he finished 18th among all starting pitchers in strikeouts because he threw over 200 innings and he gives you great ratios. But if you are drafting somebody solely on the basis of the fact that they accumulate stats, if they are then one of those pitchers that falls victim to injury, because that's a risk for all starting pitchers then you're going to lose way more production because you only drafted that guy to be an accumulator. Now I'm not suggesting that's Logan Webb. He's a guy I was using as an example, but what I'm saying is if the only, if you're a number one reason for drafting this guy is I'm going to get 190 innings to me, I wouldn't bump that guy up as much as I would somebody who's going to give me value in other categories and also give me innings and i may bump him up over somebody who maybe has more upside but is more you know vo- a more volatile pitcher so i know that's confusing it's just like i i think it's relative i don't i don't want to only i don't want to look at volume as just hey vo- everybody with volume i have to have
0: yeah i mean yeah i, I get that i i, I wonder um mean we, we there's a lot of talk out right now of like, who's the number one. I mean, Nick's worrying about this as well. He just, if you listen to his plus pitch podcast from the Yankees, he's talking about how Garrett Cole will probably be his number two instead of his number one. Um, But like you have all this other talk about, you know, should Strider be your number one after the ERA that he put up Mm -hmm. and, and whether or not that'll be repeated for 2024 is, you know, yet to be seen. You can just go by projections, go by your own history. Um, But, that kind of volume that Strider puts up regardless of what his ERA could or was and could be um, is outweighed by the fact that that volume is going to bring in the number of strikeouts, the possibility Mm -hmm. of, you know, you know, many, many wins being on Atlanta um, and keeps him in the conversation. If not solidifies him as most people's number one pitcher, whether they're drafting or making lists or what have you um and so this goes into the idea of what you know what and we talked about this last episode kevin as well with like how much power do you need to get out of somebody in order to ignore the zero that you're getting in stolen bases and vice versa like it's the reads question it's like how many stolen bases does he actually have to have to make him valuable enough to draft when he's cutting into everything else Sh- you know strider's an enigma here to an extent because he his volume is so high and to an extent like his K per nine, is, you know, whatever it's K percent, whatever you want to look at, it doesn't matter. They're all super high. Yeah. And is, if he can get close to 200 innings, then who knows um what he could do again. Where is that cutoff though? And Eric, I'll, I'll let you keep this uh, kind of keep rolling with this, but where is that kind of cutoff where? they've got to give me X amount of volume aka still uh, um, in this case mostly uh, strikeouts if not wins as well to kind of not ignore a poor ratio or a poor whip that you might be getting um, but at least you know maybe you know, just push it off to the side a little bit
2: yeah I, I would say that like I if I'm getting a poor if I'm getting poor ratios, and I mean, like, poor ratios. Like, Strider didn't have great ratios last year, but, like, a 386 ERA doesn't kill you in this current climate. Um, So you're not, like, you're not looking at, like, the, you know, the 142 whip you got from Dylan Cease. Like, that's mm-hmm. much harder to overcome. And so that's why you'll see Dylan Cease, like, really far down on a lot of people's draft lists, or at least mine and Nick's, is, like... <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I might get 170 innings, but, like, if I get 170 innings of a 1-4 whip, uh, like, that really, really hurts me. Um, So, I think, like, I... And the answer to your question is I I would prefer volume from the guys I have early, right? Like, my prefer volume from, you know, my top two or three starting pitchers. However... There's always a point, and it's different for each pitcher. Where, like, I'm willing to say, you know what, I may only get 130 innings of Tyler Glass now, but at some point, those 130 innings of Tyler Glass now are gonna. I'm just happier taking that than I am taking what I'm gonna get from Tarek Skubal because I don't know what I'm gonna get, and I might get 160 innings, but I might not. Or I'll gladly take what I get from Tyler Glass now over. Freddie Peralta, because maybe Peralta throws 30 more innings, but maybe not. But I know when Glasnow's on the mound, it's going to be really good value. And I'm way more comfortable bumping that up. Like once I get to like the fourth starting pitcher I'm drafting on my on my team. Like you'll see when when I do post my rankings, like outside of the top 30, I have a lot of guys like say Chris Sale, who I currently have 30 ranked starting pitcher 32, because I, I Chris Sale was much better than people thought last year, and I know there's innings concerns, but I like what I'm going to get out of him, and I'm going to take the solid, what I believe will be solid ratios and good strikeouts, and if I don't get the volume with that, then I'll find volume somewhere else. And I'm even more leaning into that. If I'm in a league that has IL spots, because obviously I just, if it's an injury, I put that pitcher on the IL, I pick up somebody to replace him And yes, I'm not getting the same level of production, but maybe that combined that streamer combined with sale is still better than the person I would have drafted for strictly volume after that.
0: Okay. I'm going to throw you a curveball ball here. Cause I didn't write this on the, on the outline, but how does this how does any strategy change when you change formats when it comes to ratios? And specifically, we I mean, I think I can speak for all of us that all of our conversations so far has been revolving around a roto league, a season-long roto league where that you know that 142 whip is going to that that stretch out the old course of the season. But of course, that plays differently in a head-to-head league where you only are gonna get, you know the good, the bad in that week, Uh, in that one start, maybe you get a two start week Um, in daily moves versus weekly moves, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think that, you know, these ratios play less of a role in your consideration in these smaller sample sizes where you have a little bit more flexibility, whether or not you're going to bench somebody or you can stream somebody specifically to kind of combat. A bad start, bad ratios in a week long period.
1: No, I think the biggest difference is in the leagues where you can make decisions later in the week when you have more information. Right, right. The the if uh, things are going one way, it's like. I don't care how bad his ratios are. I might as well throw them out there and try to get a win, a few strikeouts, right? The opposite can be true. Oh, this is tighter than I thought. Maybe I want to protect these ratios. Yeah, the the later in the week, the later we can make a decision, the better, and the more informed decision we can make. Uh, But in general, uh that's the biggest thing for me that they're – there are some things that that are more, uh, I think, uh, pertinent due to to format. But I think it's really, I, I think it's getting really nitpicky, and it can get us in trouble as many times as it can help us. I think in general, you, you make the decision as late as possible as you can make it. But uh, as far as whether or not I'm going to make a risky um lineup change that that can that is putting my ratios in jeopardy i'm probably making that decision roughly the the, the same depending on the the size of the league and the format but uh, the later the later i can make the decision with the more information the better for sure
0: yeah, you, I mean, in your typical head-to-head league where you have twelve active uh, 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 members of the league, you're you don't really have that luxury of like wondering, oh, should I save my ratios? Because usually those those volume categories are being are usually neck and neck, unless you're in a mm-hmm. dynasty league and you're obviously fighting somebody that's you know in a rebuild mode or whatever, and you have a little bit more luxury there. But in most situations it's a nice luxury to have if you can find yourself in it, but it doesn't happen throughout the course of the season. All right. Yeah, uh, and I'm not,
1: and, and not going to say that I I want my ratios to start the week off bad, but it is kind of nice when you're sitting there <laughs> like, oh yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Just throw them in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Use all my ads on pictures. I'll get all the volume yes. because I don't care what will happen. Um, exactly. Anything can still happen. Um, but yeah, I get, I get the, I get the sentiment. Um, all right. Well, we get
2: Be- before we get to. I just want to point this out real quick before we get to like specific pitchers because I had to do this for an article in the off season just so people understand the ratio landscape we're in right now. I know that um, you know the process. Uh, the Tanner Bell and Jeff Zimmerman magazine has made it really popular to like shoot for the 80th percentile benchmark if you're in a roto league. Right. So the idea for that is if you're trying to get an 80th percentile number in every category, you're more likely to build a well-rounded team and, and have a, a great roto team. So in 12 team leagues. Uh, in 20 going into last year's drafts, the 80th percentile ERA was 326. And the 80th percentile WHIP was one twelve. This year, going into 12 team drafts, the 80th percentile ERA is three seventy two, and the 80th percentile WHIP is one nineteen. Last year, in 15 team leagues, the 80th percentile ERA was three thirty eight, uh, and this year, and with a one one four WHIP, and this year the 80th percentile ERA is three eighty three. With a one-two-one whip, so ratios have. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's it's huge, right? In part, it's the banning of the shift. There's also some, you know, talk about the baseball, which we never know about. Also, the stolen bases are a huge thing because the more batters that turn singles into doubles and triples means the more singles that lead to runs. All that kind of stuff we we understand, right? Um, and so this is where, like, when we're talking about, you need to to prioritize ratios, it's that it it gets ugly. Um and that's also where I said a 386 ERA from Spencer Strider is still basically almost 80th percentile, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's it's really not terrible. And that's where Kevin talked about wanting to stream. And it's like, yes, yeah, streaming is a totally viable strategy. But that's why Kevin said you want to make sure you build a solid base because if 80th percentile ratios is a 383 ERA and a 121 whip, then if you're streaming from a pool of guys who are not drafted, the vast majority of those guys are gonna give you way worse ratios than that unless you really kind of like nail it each time you're you're kind of predicting who you want to take. And so that's where it's like you're you're really playing with fire and it still remains a viable strategy but it remains a viable strategy if you have the foundation of a rotation that can take the hit on the chin if you get you know a 7 ERA from your streaming pitchers that week you want to make sure that you know you're not also you don't also have a 4 or 5 ERA from just your baseline starters and you know 1 2 whip from your baseline starters cuz then you you kind of can't come back from that in a roto league if you're doing that multiple weeks in a row
0: throughout the course of the entire season yeah Yeah. um and this is going the same way that we're talking about with batting average it's like yeah you know at one point we talked about if you have a guy who's hitting you 230 240 oh man that's gonna really sink you nowadays 230 i mean it's just not gonna hurt you it's not helping you but it's no longer hurting you just because the way of you know batting average. If the, if we start seeing this trend continue, Eric, that you're pointing out, like those are big swings yeah. in 80th percentile ratios, uh, that we're seeing. And, you know, yeah, of course you bring in, you know, Strider cause we talked about him earlier and you hear the, his ERA is still going to be right around 80th percentile, even though you're like, even though everybody's saying like, oh man, you know, I can't believe I got that ratio from, you know, my SP one that was terrible. But you know what? It's still 80th percent It's still helping you. <laughs>
2: <Right>. And <laughs> he also gave it. you a well well above average yes, whip. Everything and I think that's the thing like you had a, a, what I thought was a really good question on the, the rundown, which I just wanted to touch on, which is like, why does it seem like people don't what, only talk about ERA when they talk about ratios? And to me, I think it's, it's twofold, right? One is whip, whip is really hard to figure out so people don't talk about it as much right like sure w- like how is it possible that Blake Snell had a one one nine whip when he walked over 13% of his batters like that doesn't it doesn't make sense right and the answer to it if you really go into the details is like he got batters on base and then he basically was like outrageously above average at then limiting any and all contact once runners were on base so he got He walked so many guys, but then nobody basically advanced beyond that, which made the whip kind of like settle down. But that that's harder to kind of like figure out than like this guy misses a lot of bats, which means there's going to be a lot of strikeouts or this guy doesn't allow a lot of runs, which means the ERA is going to be low. Mm -hmm. So we kind of don't we kind of ignore it. And I think the other reason is that whip is associated with control right? Like, we think, oh, whip means I don't give up free bases. So, whip is like, you know, your Kyle Hendricks is and whatever. Like, that, I think, is where people's brains go. Um, and so, whip, I think, then gets associated with boring, right? Whip is like those boring guys who don't really throw hard. They don't strike out, but they don't really give up, you know, a lot of hits and and runs. And so, whip is like not an exciting stat. It's like a boring pitcher stat. But I I think that's, if you obviously look at whip leaders every single year, that's an an overcorrection because a lot of your whip leaders are guys who also, who just don't allow a lot of hits, right? They're guys like Garrett Cole who led baseball in in whip last year and is obviously still a strikeout pitcher. And yes, you have Zach Eflin and George Kirby right after him, and I guess they would technically be quote-unquote like more boring, but Your top ten is still has guys like Luis Castillo and Wheeler and Strider and you know Burns and pitchers like that. So I I just think we think about our associations with WHIP are maybe hurting us in in thinking about WHIP as a ratio stat as as well, Um, and then the complicated nature of it.
0: Yeah, I I've also kind of uh, always associated the fact that you don't talk about WHIP because. When it comes down to like when you look at a leaderboard or you look at, you know, whether it's in a draft or postseason um leaderboards, the 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 range that you're looking at that number is a lot tighter than when you're seeing the range of like of ERA or or vol or like somebody who gets you a lot of strikeouts is gonna get you you have like this number, like it has to be two hundred like anything over two hundred strikeouts is a quote, a lot of strikeouts. Whip. I don't feel like everybody really understands what is a like anything above a one. You know, a one nineteen is a bad whip, or you know, whatever. Right, and it's going to be different well, in every league and every it's format. Always
1: changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Eric just told us the 80th percentile whip going into this coming season is over one one nine. Right, is 80th yeah. percentile. Right, most people would tell you a 1.20 is bad. 1.20 was nearly 80th percentile coming into this season, so it's moving. So that's the other reason we don't know what's the number we're looking for,
2: right? (laughs) And that's where and that's where you have to think about is like that's for a whole that's for your team, right? So that's why like I know that Nick and I in particular are lower on Kevin Gossman than like some of the other outlets out there, and that's because like Gossman continuously runs a high whip and you can listen to all of Nick's podcasts and read my articles to figure out like the nuances of why, but like if you're getting a one, one, eight, one, one, nine whip right off the bat from your ACE. And that is theoretically your best pitcher. You're it's h- going to be hard to make sure you hit that 80th percentile whip. When you think that the rest of the pitchers you're getting are probably going to be inferior in terms of the quality that they're, they're giving, and that's where you really need to think about like, yes, it looks like the number between like George Kirby's 104 whip and Kevin Gossman's 118 whip, like it's 0.14. Like how big could that really be? But like with whip 0.14 is way different than 0.14 in ERA, mm-hmm. right? Like a, Like a 314 ERA and a 328 ERA are not really that different. But a three o four whip and a uh, sorry a one, 304 whip would be atrocious. Don't <laughs> don't draft that picture. Um, but a one a one o four whip and a one one eight whip is it has a massive massive difference. Yeah. Um, and so you really need to pay attention to the the small difference in those numbers way more in whip than you do in ERA. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that was yeah. m- more, my initial point was going with that. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Also, when you're streaming. Don't pay attention to the ratios for that single game. They don't matter, right? Eric mentioned a a seven ERA from a streamer earlier. I'll take a seven ERA from a streamer every single time. Well, it means (laughs) it means he gave up two runs in the first three innings, right? Which is nothing or he's stuck in there for five innings and gave up four runs. That's over a seven ERA, four runs in five innings. I have a chance for a win, possibly five innings. I probably got some strikeouts. I'll take a seven ERA from a streamer every single time. What you don't want is your... Pictures that you're relying on to give you that seven era right when you're streaming somebody that's your sixth or seventh starter maybe even eighth if you're throwing somebody in there your relievers don't have good matchups or your punting saves right so looking at single game ratios is worthless and in fact can lead you to make bad decisions
0: yeah i mean this goes into the point of volume that we were talking about earlier and like like a 200 inning sample is going to affect your overall ratios a whole lot more than a three inning sample. As as you're kind of pointing out, Kevin um, that seven ERA in a three inning sample um, isn't doing a whole lot. I don't know if I can get behind every single stream <laughs> being seven, uh, seven ERA, uh, but I, I think I, I get where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, we need to talk about some actual players that we are, are looking at, and we typically do this in the realm of our final draft pick or our final two draft picks um, in a 12-teamer. So we're talking about ADP of like 325 or later, at least um, in your 12-teamers. We are going to get to some of those picks right after this quick break. All right, like I said, we're going to talk about a couple players that, uh, that you guys are looking at if you are focused solely on ERA and WHIP with your last one or two picks in a draft. Um, and I, I would venture to guess this is not something you're necessarily thinking about with that last pick, especially in a fab league. Uh, you're usually... I mean, we, tip, we talk about this all the time, Kevin. It's like you're using those one or last two picks on guys that might get extra volume in the first week of the season because of their schedule. Uh, they have some really good matchups or what have you, but you can still use those attributes into these picks that we're making. Um, whether they are short-term, and these are pitchers that you're picking with your last pick, you're not exactly assuming they're going to be on your roster all season long in most cases. Um, but again, maybe you did a poor job of balancing out your base with those ratios and you need to chip away at them at the very beginning. You don't have to chip away at ratios only in August and September. You don't have to wait that long. You can start chipping away at them um, in April as well. So um, we're going to, I'm going to ask you guys to each give me two starting pitchers um, that can help you out in either or both ratios Um, and then also a reliever you might be considering to, again, maybe you think they're going to get a couple extra innings in that first week and thus, you know, a good solid reliever has a better chance of putting up, you know, a zero ERA and a, a one whip or sub one whip in four innings in the first week, uh, than a, than a streaming starter in pretty much any format. So these are things to think about um, as you guys were picking them, and luckily we have names up here already, so you don't have to think too much of it right now. So no changing answers uh, anyway. But Eric, I'll let you start it off here with your first starting pitcher that, you m- that again, they should be going after ADP of 325 in online championships. That was kind of the what we were looking at. These are 12 teamers on the NFBC platform, um, and so that's just where we're using as a baseline. But these guys are going to have similar, you know, ADPs in your in your on your in your other formats as well.
2: Yeah, so I will say that, like, I do love to chase strikeout upside with these final picks, as you mentioned. So this wouldn't necessarily be my my strategy um, all the time. However, uh, I do like what these two guys that I picked bring. Uh, the first pick is Garrett Whitlock, who's going three ninety nine um, in online championships. Uh, from I did. Uh, like in is actually going, I think he's only actually been drafted. I'm looking at this because online championships obviously don't go this deep. So he has been drafted in one current online championship. Yep. Um, Perfect. So great. Uh, but so as of right now, the Red Sox don't seem like they're going to add uh, another starting pitcher. Uh, they will go into spring with Whitlock and Tanner Houck battling for the fifth spot in the rotation and Josh Winkowski. But I think it's really Whitlock and Tanner Houck. Um, I have spoken at length again on the on the corner podcast about how I believe that Hauk, uh, sorry, that Whitlock is a better bet as a as a full time starter and Hauk is better as a reliever. Um, I'm willing to throw last year kind of out the window for Whitlock. He battled multiple injuries. He was a starter. He was a reliever. He was a multi inning reliever. He was a one year reliever. He kind of just got yo yoed around. Um, And also in addition to that, he had changed his slider to be. um, He had started throwing a sweeper which uh, did one thing great and missed a ton of bats, and he also couldn't throw it for a strike. And I think part of that is like, okay, I have a new pitch. Oh, I'm pitching some. Now I'm hurt. Now I'm pitching in a new role. Now I'm pitching this. Now I'm taking a week off. I'm taking a month off. And so obviously when you're trying to get comfort with a new pitch and you're not consistently throwing, it's going to make it harder for you to have comfort with that new pitch. So I do think that Um, The command of the sweeper will be better going into next year. It had a 21.8% swing strike rate. um, So I do like that. Uh, Whitlock is a change-up sinker uh, pitcher primarily. So everything is down. And that's, again, something I like because that's usually when things are going well, more ground balls. More ground balls mean less authoritative um, and meaningfully hard contact. Um, And obviously, if you're giving up like fewer home runs and doubles and triples or whatever, your ratios are probably going to be better. Um, And we've just seen Whitlock be like a be a really effective starter in the past. Uh, And even though we've only seen it in short spurts, I think that if he wins the rotation spot, there's a chance that he's like a mid three ERA pitcher with a sub one two whip and you're getting him pick four hundred. Um, And another reason I like this pick is because if he doesn't win the rotation spot, you're just moving on to somebody else.
0: I think that uh, that's true. But I also think that if he doesn't win the rotation spot and they don't trade Kenley Jansen and he doesn't become like the closer, he very well could still get you a couple of innings in that first series where. Oh, for sure in a short sample size, he's still going to get He's still going to help. He might help your ERA and Whip even more so. Yes.
2: And especially if you're focusing on the first series, right? He is being built up as a starter. Mm-hmm. And we know that starter workloads are, are limited early in the year. So there's a likelihood that the Red Sox wouldn't push many of their starters past five innings or six innings in their first start. And if Whitlock is built up as a starter and then starts the year in the bullpen, he could very well get a two or three inning appearance out of the gate um, in that first series. And as, we men- as you just mentioned, that could be a meaningful um, appearance for you before everything settles into the normal routine.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the only, but only, the only pitcher that I see getting normal workloads anytime in April in, on the Red Sox rotation is Giolito. Um, right, that's what he's there yeah. for. Yeah, that's <laughs> literally. Throw a bunch of unless, unless they make the mistake of pitching him on Marathon Monday, uh, mm-hmm. which you know, obviously the White Sox did, and that did not work out well. He is not a morning person. Um, all right, uh, Kevin, who's your first uh, pitcher on your starting pitcher uh, on your list that you're looking at in the final final round of a 12-teamer?
1: Yeah, we talked about J.P. Sears uh, a couple of weeks ago when Kyle Bland joined us, and I've only grown to become more and more excited about drafting J.P. Sears over the past couple of weeks. Um, and, and not much has changed that uh, I haven't found much more than what we talked about with Kyle a couple weeks ago. But, um, you know, he was 24th starting pitcher uh, in overall POV for 2023. Uh, He's being drafted as the 140-something starting or overall pitcher off the board. Um, He's, I mean, and, and Kyle's projections have him right just inside the top 60 pitchers overall including relievers so like you brought up when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago about 45 or 50 for sp and going way outside of that um and and that's when it gets to this point in a draft um this is all i need i mean the the POV projections have him at under a four era when we're talking about guys not even being drafted and nearly half of the online championships uh, right around a four ERA or even under it is actually really good. Uh, they have him at uh, a better than 80th percentile uh, whip coming Damn. into 2024. And, and, you know, when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, the thing I wasn't buying that the POV projections had him for was 12 wins, but both steamer and the bat have him for nine. They're getting him up there close to that double digits. If he hits double-digit wins, he is going to out-earn his draft position by a lot. And uh, like the like we've talked about a couple of weeks ago and again a little bit now, uh, the POV projections actually have him for uh, much better than those nine wins. But even just getting to there, uh, and he is easily outperforming his, his draft cost. So uh, yeah, I, I, I have grown to uh, become a big fan of JP Sears over the past couple of weeks. All right. When
0: we do our wins and strikeouts, uh, you're not allowed to pick JP Sears again, Kevin. I'm just making a note. You can't double dip here. You got to pick somebody different because um, I'm sure his ADP is not going to change. He will still be an option uh, by the time we get to that episode. Uh all right. Right back to you. You can go in either direction here, Eric, if you want to talk, touch on your reliever or you want your your second starter, uh, whichever way you want to go.
2: Yeah, I'll just I'll finish out the starters. Um, and it's Matt Manning. Um, and Matt Manning is somebody who I was not super into uh, primarily because he doesn't strike anybody out. And I was like, oh, that's boring. And as I've talked to Nick more and more, um, I've come to accept there are certain things that matt manning does well um that you might want on your team ratios seems to be one of them um so he had a really rough mlb debut in 2021 uh since then um he's again he's only made 28 total starts between 2022 and 2023 um but the the ratios have been great Um, It was a 343 ERA and 117 whip in 2022, and then a 358 ERA and 104 whip um, last year. And we're talking about a guy going um, pick 393 right now. So if you want ratios around pick 400, um, there's probably no better bet. Uh, He remains much younger than I think he's 26 years old. Um, There was a lot of helium on him. As a prospect, uh, because of of his build, because of his pitch mix, um, primarily four-seam fastball and slider-focused, that slider, which uh, Ben Palmer actually tweeted out about earlier uh, in the day, that that slider uh, has the highest POV among all sliders um, and the third highest POV among all pitches. Uh, So that's obviously something you might want to hang your hat on. Uh, I don't necessarily think that he that's gonna all of a sudden turn him into a strikeout pitcher but i I think having really good off pitches and having you know the ability to kind of command them and put them where you want will will limit the hard contact and help your ratios, which he has done well so far in his career. He's currently slotted into the Tigers rotation. Um, I believe he'll pitch in it as long as he's healthy and so I think he's a good bet for ratios late in drafts. probably more of a 15 teamer option for me because i think he lacks that like real ceiling upside but could be somebody that you keep in your 15 team lineup for a while just because he doesn't do anything that hurts you
0: yeah fair enough um all right kevin moving on to your final starter stay in the category here uh again final pick helping your your ratios in your 12 teamers uh who you got
1: yeah i think people are kind of forgetting about logan allen a little bit I, i i like him in this spot he's going right around pick 350 on average. It's hard to tell though. He'd only been drafted in five of the 12 online championships that have taken place. Uh, but as, as early as 283, as late as 344, uh, the, they give his average is actually higher than that because of that. All the drafts he hasn't been drafted in. That's what I mean about kind of mm-hmm. hard to tell what it average draft position would be here for Logan Allen and a, a word of caution. And, and we've been talking about it a little bit and Eric brought it up first that we, you know, typically we're concentrating on ERA for some reason, when we're looking at ratios and ERA is only half of the ratios pitchers give us his, his whip can be a little high. In fact, uh, the the, the PLV projections have been projected for a one two eight whip that's not great in fact that can do a that can do some damage to our to our team so we 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 do have to be a a little careful here and you know he's he he got that walk rate um down under 10 percent for the the major league portion of his 2023 season. Uh, we need to continue to see that and, and hopefully even continue to see some improvement on that. The projections, they got him going slightly lower than what we saw at the MLB level. So that should help. Uh, uh, and other than that, that slight concern, love Logan Allen where he's being drafted, fully confident he's going to be in the Guardians rotation and, and, and keep that spot as long as he stays healthy. And we say that about any pitcher these days
0: all right well like i said there's always a uh, opportunity to chip away at your ratios even little by little we do this a lot in august um in september specifically with by streaming relievers whether it be middle relievers or, or guys that are getting you know multiple innings at late in games um so i'm going to make you guys pick a reliever here as well that kind of fits the bill and chip away at your ratios in april instead uh Uh, Kevin, I'm going to have you flow right into this one as well. Um, Maybe just because you left this blank on the outline, and I'm so curious to see who you actually picked. Um, And also, you know, this is just, we talk about this every single week.
1: Right. I think it's because the last couple of weeks of our news and notes, as uh, we've been talking about a lot of these guys, that's why it's blank. Uh, I had David (laughs) Robertson. Uh, in, typed into the spot earlier. We talked about him earlier in the show. Uh, I thought about Will Smith in Kansas City. We've talked a lot about him this off season. Uh, Aroldis Chapman. We talked about him last week because he signed with Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I because it's ratios. I I did settle on Bruce Star Gratterall uh, out in L.A. As great as he has been and uh, an amazing relief pitcher for the Dodgers, he doesn't strike many guys out, so we don't talk about him much. Uh, When we're talking about uh, some some guys we we like as middle relievers, maybe snagging a win or snagging a save for us, we're typically – concentrating on guys that in the limited number of innings they are giving us, hopefully they're striking out two or three guys each inning, so, so we're adding to that total. We're not going to get that from Gratterall, but we are going to get the ratios, uh, and we are going to get those opportunities for, for snagging wins, snagging saves uh, with that offensive lineup, with the starting rotation and other relievers that the Dodgers have. Uh, so, I, I mean, you can do a lot worse than having a bruised Dar- in your lineup for four or five six innings in a week
0: yeah i think that the volume for this play we're specifically talking ratios here the volume definitely is going to play and the volume doesn't have to necessarily come in multi-inning appearances it can come in multiple appearances um, and as you, if if you know you have a guy that you know the manager or the team itself is going to rely on um, especially early on in the season, Eric, as you talked about, like the starters' workloads aren't—you know—the bullpens are going to get hit mm-hmm. a lot more often, uh, in April as they might throughout the course of the regular season, just because your starters aren't as uh built up yet as well. So, relief pitchers in this scenario is is definitely a viable option. So, Eric, close this out here, pun completely intended, and give me a reliever for your ratios.
2: Yeah, I feel I feel bad because I didn't I guess I, I misunderstood the assignment in a sense of like I didn't I feel like I should have picked a multi inning guy. Um, I will say I picked Jason Adam, which is partially cheating because he's exactly three twenty five. And he told <laughs> me to pick somebody drafted after three twenty five. Um, but Jason Adam has been uh, continuously really good since coming over to Tampa Bay. Uh, they changed his pitch mix because, again, that's what Tampa Bay does. And they made him just a far more dynamic mm-hmm pitcher um i think that i mean he is consistently used out of the back of their bullpen so i think that if you're looking if you're not going to get a multi-inning guy i think you're going to get somebody who's going to throw multiple times um within that first um that first week he made see through 67 he made 67 appearances in 2022 and 56 last year while dealing with injury um the era and the whip Have been um, really great since coming over to Tampa. He also gets you strikeouts and then he could also get you a save um, because even though Fairbanks is the closer we know that Tampa is not going to run Fairbanks into the ground in particular early in the year. Um, So if there are multiple save opportunities early in the year um, Adam could get um, another shot Uh, and then just to throw a name out there but if you are looking for a multi inning guy um, I also like Matt Strom um, with the Phillies um, I think that he's been a really impactful reliever since moving into the bullpen and if you're looking for just a multi-inning type of arm um, I think that he's another guy who will get you strikeouts but could also give you a low three um, ERA and you know something like a one one three one one four whip good whip early in the year as well yeah
0: I mean I think uh, there's definitely a reason why not only Adam has that ADP that you talked about, but he is of everybody you guys have mentioned. He's the only one that's been drafted in all twelve uh, online championships. Not only because you know he's going to be valuable in other categories potentially, uh, but he's and uh, Chris Torres and Mike Carter over on the Fantasy Baseball Beat just talked about this. He's the clear handcuff for mm-hmm. Fairbanks for exactly the reasons Eric that you just mentioned. Obviously, Tampa is not going to want to you know. Fairbanks into the ground early on but on top of that Fairbanks can find his own ways of getting injured and hopefully that's not the case but he sure. has in the past so uh yeah he'll be valuable in a- other ways and Adam w- w- even if he doesn't pick up a bunch of saves, um, he's just that type of reliever who's still going to get utilized enough throughout the course of the season that he you, you may not drop him, even in a 12-teamer, mm-hmm. just because of the value he provides um, as somebody that's just a reliable um innings eater from a reliever standpoint uh, that you could pu- punch in when you don't like any of the streamer options on the free agent, or you just got hit with a bunch of injuries um, from the rest of your pitching staff and can't really afford to, you know, pick up um, a, a big, a big name pitcher off the, off the waiver wire. So still, still right. definitely a valid uh, call out here.
2: Or you'll do what I did last year and drop Adam it- and then Fairbanks will get hurt like two days later. You, you um, and, let
0: us know when you do that, so yeah, that yeah. I will.
2: I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I we appreciate the heads up. All right. Well, that I think that those are definitely plenty. This is not a strategy that I think a lot of people think about. Whether you know for good reason or not that 's up to you to decide after listening to everything we had to say here, but now you 've got a couple of names that if you decide this is what your roster needs at the end of your roster at the end of your draft uh that you can at least put them on your watches, put them in your queue and pull the trigger on them if if it if it just feels right uh so consider all those names uh at the end of your drafts that is going to wrap it up though uh Kevin. Close us out here with any other extra words of wisdom that you might have uh, for, you know, those who are still in draft season, just starting draft season, whatever the case may be.
1: Yeah, first, um, to to get us started, uh, for anybody that, that thought we were going to talk late round pitchers and specifically late round pitchers that that can help our ratios, and I wasn't going to bring up Wade Miley. Uh, there's a guy going well after pick 325, only been drafted in three out of 12 of the online championships that gave us 120 innings of a 314 ERA and 114 whip last year. I'm just saying. Uh, and then a lot of more and more projection systems coming out every day. And we love this. And I talk often in the off season and throughout the season about being careful not to cherry pick certain stats from individual players from one projection system that can get us in a little bit of trouble, trust an entire system. However, I briefly allude to this at time, but the the outliers is where we can find things as well, especially if that a one projection system is way different than several others on a player, and you can figure out why. If you figure out why, whether it's good direction or bad direction, that may lead you into actually believing in that outlier projection a little bit and can be a big value. So uh, it's a little hypocritical, as I am often talking different things, <laughs> fantasy baseball. But if, if, if you are going to uh, pick one projection system that has a much different uh, thought on a player make make sure you at least think you know why and believe in that if that's the route you're going to go
0: yeah absolutely uh you know it's always nice to know what what goes into a projection system um, oh, and there we only do that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there are some articles out there that I'll at least give you like a, a microcosm of of what you know is thought to go go into the uh, into each projection system. Um, But, you know, do whatever research you can find, whatever things you can to read on that and make sure you kind of know the tools that you're using as well. Um, All right. But that is going to wrap it up for episode 149 of on the wire. Eric, thank you so much for uh, making it three episodes in a row or three podcasts <laughs> in a row on the pictureless network where you either crossed or came very very close to the two hour mark uh and yeah make sure that you're following everything that Eric does like he said he posts everything on his Twitter at sammolsky NYC there'll be a link to that in the show description uh Eric again yeah thanks for thanks for taking the time man
2: Thanks for having me. We If we wrap this up in three minutes, it'll be out before two hours, and then it's a win for me.
0: There you go. There you go. All right. Well, you can follow myself on the Twitter at 80Grid. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at, at, at he's Kevin, Of course, follow the pod itself at on the Wire Pod. Once again, thank Eric Polsky for joining us. And you can catch him not only on the Twitter, but also all of us in the PL Discord by signing up for PL Plus or PL Pro at PitcherList.com. After all that, I am Adam now. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening, and we bid you goodbye.